Theologian Richard Foster um, once said that superficiality is the curse of our age. <laughs> um, now, that might be true as we look around in our world, but my question here for us is simply this. Who here, which one of us here wants to be known um, as shallow or thought of as being superficial? We all want to go deep, don't we? I mean, think about it. Um, we want deep friendships, right? <laughs> um, Every uh, athletic coach, sport uh, coach I know in sports, uh, they want to have a deep bench, right? Um, I, I mean, you can't really call yourself a true Viking fan if you don't hope at the beginning of the season that the Vikings will go deep into the playoffs, correct? <laughs> um, I mean, what college professor doesn't want to take their students and help them to think deeply? I mean, deep is good, isn't it? Deep implies substance. If something is deep, it's profound, it's long-lasting, it's real. I mean, we want uh, deep conversations, and we want to be deep people. And for us as Christ followers, I would suggest that everyone here wants to have a deep faith. I mean, over the years as senior pastor, I can't tell you how many times I have people come up to me and said, you know, I just want to go deeper in my faith. Never once in these uh, 20 plus years, nobody has ever said to me, Pastor Joel, listen, my goal is to have a shallow faith, you know? This year, our goal as a church is that Christ might be formed in you, in each one of us. With that in mind, I've chosen this new series as we start off this, this uh, year of 2022. Um, I've titled this new series, um, Growing Deeper, Going Deeper, with a focus on us going deeper in our faith and going deeper in our knowledge of God and his word and going deeper into Christ-likeness. And to help us go deeper, I got to tell you, uh, we're going to take a deep dive. I put that in there on purpose, okay? Um, a deep dive into a little-known book at the... Uh, it comes near the end of the New Testament called 1 John. Of course, uh, as indicated by the name, 1 John is the first of three letters <laughs> um, at the end of the Bible, all written by um, the Apostle John. He is the same man who wrote the Gospel of John and also the book of Revelation. He was a fisherman. John was one of Jesus' inner circle, and he had uh, walked with Jesus, and he had talked with Jesus. I mean, he knew Jesus personally. You get to 1 John, you realize it's really quite a simple book. Um, uh, 1 John is made up of five um, short chapters, um, and it's written with a pastoral heart. You read 1 John... You understand, it gets intensely personal, and, and there's no doubt that John, as he's writing this letter, that he is thinking of a group of people that he knows, most likely they say a community, a church community of believers there in Ephesus. And he's thinking about them when he writes this. One commentator, in fact, that I read uh, said this, he described this as a letter of 
as a loving and anxious sermon written by a pastor who loved his people. (laughs) And one of John's main concerns as we go into the study of this book, one of the main concerns is that this people, these these friends of his, this church congregation, (laughs) that they don't fall away from the faith, that they go deeper. This morning, um, we heard an imaginary letter from Phil, a young man uh, raised in the church, accepted Christ evidently early on, but now um, he's feeling as though something is missing in his Christian life. He's not experiencing the fullness and the and the, and the joy that John, in this letter, writes about. At least he hasn't experienced that for a while, and he's wondering if he's if he ever will. And maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're feeling the same way. Let's read John's opening lines. Turn with me if you have your Bibles or you can look on your phones uh, to your Bible app. Look with me and, um, at, at the first letter of John. 1 John, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you Two may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Um, did you hear the anxiety and love in John's voice for his people here? Although um, this is a letter, it, 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 it doesn't start off like a letter. I mean, it has no, no greeting here at the very beginning. It's as though John, the, the pastor, is so eager to express his concerns for this church that he, he wants to get into the matter immediately. Um, you know, kind of reminds me of a little child who uh, is so excited that they appear out of breath as they're trying to tell you the, the exciting news. And, and, and we just want to say to that little child, slow down, slow down. You know, I want to say to John, slow down, John, slow down. Do you notice how often John repeats himself here? (laughs) I mean, four times, four times in these four verses, he refers to what he has seen and what he has uh, looked at. Twice, he refers to what he has heard. And another two times, he, he refers to what he proclaims. And even though the wording in this first four verses might be a little bit awkward for us, um, John's goal and his message are not. I mean, it's very clear, right? He wants us to know the life that is in Jesus Christ. Four things that John wants us to know from these opening verses. And I want to credit Brian Wilkerson uh, for these uh, four points. Uh, you know, I, I, I read him, and, and, and his explanation made such sense, and I knew I couldn't really improve on it, so I've just decided to use his four points as an outline for today. <laughs> the first thing that John wants us to know is that Jesus really lived. 
See, you have to understand, John was writing this letter um, somewhere, commentators tell us, between the years 90 A.D. and, and 100 A.D. So if you put that into time frame, that was um, 60 years um, since Jesus has walked the earth. And the thrill of those first days, you know, uh, of the book of Acts, uh, of the church just expanding and exploding across the, uh, you know, Europe, um, those first exciting days were gone. By this time, those who had walked with Jesus or had been around when Jesus um, was living, they had passed away. I mean, John is one of the last living apostles as he writes this. So those that John were writing to were like Phil, the one who wrote that letter to us. Um, a second or third generation Christian are, are those who are receiving John's letter here. Christianity for them had become more of a habit than, than a relationship. Second generation Christians, you understand, are those who have never personally encountered Jesus, but have heard about him from someone else. And third generation Christians are even further down the road. They've only heard about Jesus from someone who had heard about Jesus. <laughs> See, Paul, uh, John here is um, writing to people who are asking the same questions that we ask. Did it really happen? Was Jesus really God in flesh, or was he just some, you know, phantom? I mean, was the gospel... Are those just made-up stories? I'm curious, just here. Um, um, how many of you here in, in the sanctuary here this morning, how many of you are first-generation Christians? Anybody here? First-generation Christians. Several of you, first-generation Christians. Um, in other words, your parents or grandparents uh, were not Christ followers, so you're first-generation Christians. Um, how many of you are second- or third-generation Christians? I see him. Most of us, most of us here. Um, the good news, I got to tell you, being a second or third generation Christian is that you have a rich spiritual heritage to go back to, right? I mean, that's good. I'm at least a fourth generation uh, Christian. My parents and my grandparents and my great grandparents all were believers. Now, I, I probably could go back further. I haven't really gone back to my uh, family tree and, and checked it out. But I got to tell you, I'm thankful for my family spiritual heritage. Of course, the bad news is that being a second or third generation Christian, you don't typically have that dramatic conversion experience. You know, I remember growing up as a teenager and I always said, man, I wish I had a story like that. You know, you'd hear all those stories. You don't have that dramatic uh, conversion experience. You probably, you know, are, are, can't. You find it hard to pinpoint that time in your life when there was this powerful transformation that took place. You, you know, the stepping from the old life into the new life. Um, you know, it kind of all blends together. You, you kind of uh, grew into it. It's something you've always known. And, and it's easy to find yourself asking, like Phil, our letter writer, if it's all true. Am I really a Christian? I mean, what difference does my faith really make? Why am I not experiencing the satisfaction and joy that they say um, you should have as a Christian? Well, listen, if that was your experience or that's been your experience, John is writing to you. 
See, the recipients of this letter, they weren't alive when Jesus lived and taught and, and died. They never saw the resurrected Jesus. And then on top of all of that, catch this, over the years, false teaching had made its way into the church. One of the major false teachings of that day was a heresy known as Gnosticism. Um, it came from the Greek word meaning to know. Uh, Gnostic teachers claimed that a person could gain you know, some special insight, some special knowledge of God, and have a deeper spiritual experience. They said that the only, uh, only the spirit you know, was important. Only spirit was e eternal. So material things, you know, the physical, wasn't all that important. Therefore, they reasoned that Jesus only appeared to be human. Jesus only seemed to have a body. And so he only seemed to die. So the first thing that John wants these second and third generation believers to know is that Jesus Christ, God's son, really, truly lived. John begins by saying, you see this? That which w was from the beginning... <laughs> Um, you know, talking about the eternity past, sounding almost like the beginning of his gospel, the gospel of John, um, you know, where the word was with God, the Father. The one who existed from eternity, John is making the point, um, is the one who was born and took on human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, Right? John says, listen, we have heard him, we have seen him, we have touched him. You know, when he says um, we here, what John, who he's referring to is the other apostles. And he's also referring to other first generation believers. And he's saying, hey, we saw him when he walked on water and when he fed over 5,000 there out of that little boy's lunch. I mean, we saw him heal uh, lepers and, and the blind and the lame. We heard him. Come on, we, we heard him. We listened to him as he, as he taught on, on that hillside outside of Capernaum. We, we, we heard him when he taught in the temple. We even touched him. You know, when he says touched him, I, I, I got to believe that John maybe is remembered back to that upper room where he laid his head on Jesus' chest as they enjoyed that last supper together. Or maybe he's referring to um, the time that Jesus appeared after his resurrection. And in response to Thomas's doubt, Jesus said, Hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. John says, Jesus really lived. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him, and we are telling you that he was everything that you have heard about him. Take a moment, think, think about this. Here we are, some 2,000 years later, being asked to believe the same things, right? And we're not just two or three generations removed from when Jesus actually lived. <laughs> I mean, we are 50-plus generations removed from when Jesus actually lived. I mean, that's a lot of time, right, for doubts and, and questions and false teaching to creep in. But if John were here, 
He would say to us once again, he'd say, friends, I got to tell you, Jesus really lived. I was there. I was an eyewitness. Second thing that John wants us to know is that we have personally experienced Jesus. In other words, um, Jesus didn't just live. He changed our lives. When John says here, um, uh, which we have heard and which we have seen and which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, um, he uses the perfect tense, which uh, for those that are in grammar, that indicates um, that what they heard and saw and touched was in the past and the results of that are continuing in the present with them. If he was just reporting something that had happened in the past, he would have said, we saw Jesus, and we heard Jesus, and we touched Jesus. I mean, that would have been past tense. But this is different, do you notice? Which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon. See, John's not just reporting something happened in the past. He's telling him, what happened in the past, what we heard, it's still ringing in our ears. What we saw in the past, well, it's still with us. It's lingering in our mind's eyes. Let me try to illustrate it this way. You know, I've always dreamed, uh, you know, enjoying being a tennis player, you know, enjoying I've always dreamed of going over to Wimbledon, over to England. Um, imagine that one day I did, or I have in the past. Imagine that. If I went and came back to you and said, Listen, I saw the grass courts at Wimbledon. Then I would be telling you that in the past, I traveled over to England and I made visual contact with those tennis courts. That's past tense. I did it in the past. But if I would say to you, listen, I have seen uh, Wimbledon. I mean, that's in the perfect tense. And what I'm telling you then is not only did I go to Wimbledon and see the stadium in the past, but in being there and seeing it, even now when I, I close my eyes, I can still see it. I can see those perfectly groomed grass courts, and I can see the royal box, and I can see the tennis players hitting those tennis balls. <laughs> I'll never forget it, is what I'm saying. It has made a lasting impression on me, and I have been changed by the experience of it all. That's what John is saying here. <laughs> He's saying, we didn't just see Jesus. We didn't just hear Jesus. We didn't just touch Jesus. No, we experienced him. And we're different because of it. We're changed because of our encounter with, with Jesus. His words are still ringing in our ears. The, the miracles that he performed... I still stand back in amazement. Um, the feelings that we had when we were with him, we, we'll never forget. In fact, John says the experience of being with Jesus was so real that he became our life. Do you notice this at the end of verse 1? He says, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And then he, he says down there uh, in the middle of verse 2, and proclaim to you the eternal life. Um, Jesus, he's saying, John said, Jesus is not only the source of life, but he is life itself. John is saying, to know Jesus is to live. Remember that line the Apostle Paul uh, writes in the book of Philippians, 
chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, to live is Christ. <laughs> That's kind of what John is saying here. You know, people over the years, you, you, you notice this, people make uh, many things. I mean, they make them big, right, in their life. Um, people have made sports big. Um, they have made uh, their work, their careers big. I mean, their life becomes all-encompassing around that. They've made making money big. I know a guy, um, uh, a friend who has made uh, movies his life. I mean, everything around his life revolves around um, seeing, watching movies, and making movies. It's all, his life is all-encompassing around, around movies. Um, you know, John is saying, hey, my life has become Jesus. His experience of being with Jesus was so real that, that Jesus become his life, he's saying. And Jesus changed everything for him. See, after John met Jesus, um, seeing him, walking with him, listening to him, conversing with him, Jesus has become big, all-encompassing. No longer was John's life about, you know, going out and fishing. His life wasn't about being comfortable or, or trying to control things or, or seek approval. No, his encounter with Jesus changed him. It changed everything in his life. Now, Jesus was his life. Let me pause here just for a second and ask you simply this question. Is Jesus Christ your life? Are you experiencing Christ? I know we haven't had the privilege of uh, John had of seeing, hearing, and touching Jesus in the flesh. But the point of John's letter is that this life, this experience of Christ that's available for everyone every day. I mean, take a look around. Can you see Christ at work in people's lives? Can you, can you see the, Christ working in the world around us? I mean, we see his handiwork in creation, right? Uh, different seasons. We witness his healing and transformation in the uh, lives of people around us. And even in our own lives, don't you? We watch his people go out in the world to, to feed the hungry and to heal the sick and bring good news to the, to the needy. We can still hear Christ speak to us out of uh, his word, the Bible, out of his still small voice of the Holy Spirit through other people, a voice of people that he places in our lives. And even though Jesus no longer walks on the earth, we can still feel him at times, right? Laying a finger on some sinful thought or habit. Or lifting us up with his strong hand. <laughs> or comforting us with his arms of love. Or brushing by us in, in a moment of worship. Last summer during my sabbatical, I got to tell you, I'd be honest with you, I was worn out when I went into those, that, that sabbatical. I really am thankful for that time. And I took some time and I, I, I decided I was going to do some, some reading that I hadn't been able to, to be able to do. And I remember just asking God, God, what do you want to do in my life during this, these months of sabbatical? A number of times in those months, I sense God just simply reminded me that I was his. 
something I need to hear. I didn't need to perform, or I didn't need to uh, uh, win, or I didn't need to receive applause. He simply whispered, it seemed like in my ear, that still small voice, that, that I was his child. And that he loved me, and he was, he was with me. And he asked me just to, to, to remain faithful. It's a pretty vivid memory of those conversations, if you put it that way. Listen, maybe like Phil, uh, it's been a while since you've experienced Christ like that. Maybe like Phil, you're wondering if you've ever experienced Christ like that. I got to tell you, John wrote this letter then for you. He was writing to people who call themselves Christians for a variety, but for a variety of reasons, they weren't experiencing the fullness of life, the deepness of, of joy that was, that was available to them in Christ. They had a relationship with Christ. Anyway, most of them did, but it was shallow. Some of them, it turned out, were not actually Christians at all. They were familiar with Christ's teaching. They were hanging out, you know, with, with, with Christ's people, but they had never really experienced Christ himself personally. Could either one of those be true of you? Is it possible that you've always thought of yourself as a Christian but have never actually experienced a personal relationship with Christ? Or is it possible that you're a Christian but you're not experiencing the depth of life and joy that John is describing here? I got to tell you, either way, this letter is for you. John says to us, Jesus Christ really lived. And we have really experienced him. And then he says, and you can really experience him too. That's the reason, in fact, he wrote this letter. Look with me at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, here it is, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John here, he repeats a portion of verse 1, right? And then he gives us the purpose of this whole letter. Um, it is so that we, as the readers, might have fellowship with him. That word there for fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. Um, koinonia refers to things held in common by two or more people. And I want you to notice here that, that uh, John talks about a vertical dimension of koinonia, a fellowship that is with God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, right? But then he also refers to a horizontal dimension of this koinonia, a fellowship with other believers. Um, true Christian, see, fellowship, true Christian fellowship then is a, is a shared experience of life in Jesus Christ. That's why John's writing this letter. He wants us to know that we can experience Jesus and the depth of life in him with others. In truth, I got to tell you, that's the aim every Christian, or every Sunday morning as, as I stand up here behind the pulpit and, and preach, and that is to bring you closer to God and also closer to one another, to love God and love one another. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, he really lived, John says. 
We have experienced him, and, we can, and you too can really experience him. And then there's one more thing that John wants us to know. This life in Jesus was meant to be shared. Look with me at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Isn't it interesting John says, so that our joy might be complete? I mean, it, it seems to me that it made more sense if he would say, so that your joy may be complete. <laughs> but John says, no, our joy. Why? Because, see, it's not enough for John to be experiencing life in Jesus himself. He wants others to share that same experience with him. And when they do, it completes our joy. Until that happens, something is lacking. <laughs> I grew up in Denver. Uh, growing up in Denver uh, meant that I became a Denver Bronco fan. It's like automatic. You just, you just did. Um, now, if you know anything about football, you also know that the Broncos were once like the Minnesota Vikings, um, losers of four Super Bowls. But that all changed. January of uh, 1998, the Broncos beat the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. I still remember that game. I mean, I was overjoyed. Um, and I wanted to share that excitement with someone, okay? Now, my wife, Becky, wonderful, but she grew up in South Dakota. Um, and was not really into it like I was. So it was hard to share that uh, full joy of that experience with her. My Minnesota Viking uh, friends, well, they were not into it like I was. And so what I decided I needed to do was I needed to call my brother. And together, we celebrated over the phone. I mean, we went over plays. We talked about the game, all the, all the, all the plays, and how the, how the victory was won, and what great players the Broncos were had. And I knew, because he was another Bronco fan, growing up in Denver, that, that uh, he was into it. And he could understand my joy and my excitement over their victory. The spiritual writer Stephen Mitchell once described a holy joy as so large that it's no longer inside you, but instead you are inside of it. <laughs> I want to share that Broncos victory with someone who understood and when I did, it was like I became inside my joy. And my joy was completed. So it is with the Christian experience. It's incomplete until you've shared it with others. That's why it's not enough just to go deeper in your own faith. I mean, if you're not careful, going deep can become very self-centered and, and even self-indulgent. This life in Christ was meant to be shared. Do you want to feel that deep joy? <laughs> joy is found in Jesus Christ alone. But here's the key. Deep joy, completed joy happens when you have experienced Jesus yourself and you can share that experience with others. I think if John were to answer Phil's letter about why he isn't finding much joy in this Christian life, he would ask him two questions. The same two questions I think he asked each of us this morning. Are you experiencing Christ personally? 
Are you seeing him at work in your life? Hearing him speak, sensing his, his presence, walking with him and abiding in him on a daily basis? If not, it's time to go deeper. Second question I think you would ask us is this. Are you sharing your experience of Christ with others? Are you gathering together and, and enjoying and, and encouraging and celebrating your joy in Christ with someone else? If not, then maybe you need to get closer to some others who know him. Get connected. Take the next step. Get connected to a small group here at First Free or an adult community group on Sunday mornings. As I said at the very beginning of this sermon, in the commentary I was using to prepare for this message, the, the writer um, said that 1 John is a loving and anxious sermon written by a pastor who loved his people and wanted God's best for them. Can I tell you that that's what I'm feeling as we begin this series, as we begin looking at this book of 1 John? See, the thing I'm most anxious for is for everyone here who calls First Free their home church, I'm anxious for you to experience the fullness of Christ. A deep joy. My prayer is that Jesus Christ will become your life and he'll be formed in you this next year. Let's pray. God, thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for your thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you continue to pursue us. That God, you continue to speak to us. You continue to want to take us deeper into what it means to live in you. Lord, I pray for each person here. I pray for each person listening online. That, God, you might do that this next year. As we experience you more and more in a personal way, in a real way, Lord, as we share it with each other, as we share that, that excitement, that thrill, that, that, that joy, as we share, God, what you're doing in our lives, might you complete our joy. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.